Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we are just so blessed to have your word on our laps this morning. Lord, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that don't even have a full book. Some will tear apart a book to spread that book throughout their community. Father, we're spoiled. And we don't take it for granted. We say thank you, for we don't know how long these freedoms are going to last. Lord, we don't want to take it for granted being a believer. We want to be light as the world becomes darker and darker, as your son said it would, we can grow brighter and brighter and help people to see there is an answer because this world has no hope. But we as believers have the hope of the risen Christ. So Father, use your word this morning. Lord, we don't need another Bible study. I need a heart transformation. Every saint needs a heart transformation day in and day out. We need to be more like your son. So help us not to be too comfortable this morning, complacent, lethargic, lazy, but help us to wake up to the days we're living in. I ask for the gift of teaching and for your Holy Spirit to do his work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 69. And this psalm could be yet another psalm written by David during that time known as Absalom's Rebellion. Uh, you'll find that story in 2 Samuel 15 through 19. And as we're going to read it, it's a psalm that is filled with sorrow. And again, the psalms are the songs. Songs. So this would have been sung. One that reflects David's desire to be delivered from his oppressors. It is also the third most referenced psalm in the New Testament. As we go over it, you're going to go, wait a minute, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. The third most referenced psalm in the New Testament. Thus classifying it as a messianic psalm. So Psalm 69, to the chief musician, set to the lilies. So that was a familiar tune at that time. Different words, but set it to this tune. A psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire, where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters, where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail when I wait, while I wait for my God. You know, as we've seen over and over again, David's way of expressing himself is so graphic and detailed as he gives us this picture of a man drowning. There is no solid ground beneath his feet. The water is rising. He is feeling overwhelmed by the lack of having something firm to stand on. You see, he has expressed himself so much that he is weary of his own crying. He didn't hold it in, bottle it up, big boys don't cry. He let it out. But he let it out to God. He offered up his complaint to God. And as as we'll see, as we always do, David always comes back to the truth. He always comes back to the truth. You see, he is looking for God, but feeling hopeless. And maybe you're even here this morning. You're a believer. You love God. And you're looking to God. 
but maybe you feel hopeless as well. And sometimes when we, we go through these seasons, we beat ourselves up. Really what we're doing is we're allowing the enemy to beat us up. It's okay to have those feelings. Just don't hold on to those feelings. Express those feelings and get back to the word of God. But those feelings are real. You see, when we look up the word fail here, it's a root word. And the definition is to be completed, to be spent, to make an end, to finish. Notice at the end of verse 3 there, my eyes fail while I wait... Notice that. While I wait for my God. David wasn't looking away from God, wasn't running to the world, as so often us Christians do. No, he's waiting for God, but he expresses, my eyes fail. I feel like it's over. I feel like I'm spent, like it's at the end of it. But it's not. I mean, this is how serious David is right here. He is so expressive. In verses 4 and 5, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness. Notice that. And my sins are not hidden from you. You see, David wasn't sinless. So he's not pointing at somebody else and saying, woe is me, woe is me. I haven't done anything wrong and they're the bad people. Now, David knew that he was a sinner. But why do these various adversaries appear to be succeeding, is his question. You see, there are so many of them, and they are strong, they're willing to take David's life. And the feelings he expresses are like that of being condemned. He has to repay something that he hasn't even stolen. And I'd venture to say, you have, I know I have felt that way even in my Christian walk, when I'm doing everything right at work, but I don't get a raise. When I'm doing everything right in the family, but things don't seem to be going right. When I'm doing everything right in the neighborhood, but yet my neighbors have things to say against me. I mean, you just think about that. That happens to all of us. And David goes on to express his heart for the ones who are not opposed to him. Verse 6. Let not those who wait, and I actually have this highlighted. I encourage you to highlight your Bible, write your Bible. You're not, it's not sacrilegious. You're not doing anything wrong. Make your Bible personal. This should be your most favorite book. Let those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed. Let not, let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you, be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. That's a prayer. That's a prayer right there. And it's a phenomenal prayer. You see, because sometimes our choices can bring a reproach upon the name of God. And see, David knows this far too well with that situation with Bathsheba. And in 2 Samuel twelve fourteen, we read this. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion, David, by what you did with Bathsheba, committing adultery, committing murder, hiding it for over a year, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. To blaspheme whom? David? David? David's name means nothing. To blaspheme God. Where's your God, David? 
you so love God, why would you do this if you so love God? Commit adultery and then murder? Are you sure that you love God, David? We don't believe in your God. How about for us believers today? Well, let's look at some verses. Titus. Let's get back to Titus. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to take one out of the chair in front of you. And it's so important to learn the Bible. And we have slides up here. So if you're not familiar, don't be embarrassed. You can see a little white cross that shows you it's towards the back of your Bible. All the T's are together. Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses six, uh, verse 4. Titus 2, verse 4. That they may admonish the young women. Now as you read back, it's the older women, so the mature women. That they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Why? Because we're chauvinistic? Not at all. There's order in the kingdom of God. And it's not about being chauvinistic. It's not about berating women or any of that nonsense. It's to elevate God and to show that God isn't a God of order. Just like the Son submitted to the Father and the Holy Spirit submits to the, to the Son. If you do a Bible study, you'll see there's order, yet the three are one. Husband and wives, we are one, yet there has to be order. So God has given us order. So there's a role for the for the older women, the older saints, to get, come alongside the younger women. Why? That the word of God may, may not be blasphemed. You know, I had a gal who was committing adultery come into the office, and her husband was just totally disturbed, and and she was like, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing, and and I really don't care. You know, this is this guy's a jerk, and I don't I don't care that 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 I'm not you know that I'm hurting my husband. I just don't care. I went to these verses. I said, really, you really don't care? Well, let's read the Bible. And let's see what you're doing against the God you supposedly say that you worship. And I read these verses and I slowed down really, really slow on that last part. And I looked at her and I said that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You are blaspheming the word of God. And she broke down and wept right there. Because she really did love the Lord. But she got caught up in the enemy's web. And, and then it was a pride issue. Of I'm not going to admit that I was wrong. Or that I'm doing wrong. I can't imagine women that you have pride. But in this case, this woman did have pride. It was amazing. And she was just like, you're not breaking me. I don't care what you say. It's not what I say. It's what does the word of God say. Let's just go to the word of God. So for you older saints, you ladies, you need to be pouring into the younger saints, the younger women. Well, let's look at verses 6 through 8 for the men. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. So this would be older men. You come alongside the younger men. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine. Notice that. Men, you should know doctrine. You should know biblical doctrine. In doctrine, showing integrity. Reverence incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed. Again, you're not shaming. You're not bringing reproach upon the word of God. No, they're going to be ashamed. That we actually believe marriage is between one man and one woman only. That is a biblical doctrinal truth. Fact. Don't be ashamed of that. 
allow the Holy Spirit to bring shame upon them, having nothing evil to say of you. You see, our words, as well as our actions, can have a positive or negative impact upon those around us. And I'm sure you all know this, but again, we need these reminders as you're going to see. We need to be reminded on a regular basis that we are ambassadors for Christ. And let me just ask you a question. You don't have to respond. Don't raise your hand. How did you do this past week? Just ask the Holy Spirit. How did I do this past week, Holy Spirit? Would I want somebody to, to follow me, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ? Would, would I want a, an unbeliever to say, hey, follow after me because I'm following Christ? Or would they say, really? I didn't even know you were a Christian. And by your actions, by your words, I would have never have guessed that. How have you been as an ambassador for Christ this, this past week? You don't have to dig into your childhood. Just look at this past week. And this is not guilt or condemnation. This is reality. Guys, in a world that's crumbling, that, that's falling apart, you and I, we have the privilege to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Only you and I. No one else. Only believers are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful. We need to be ever so careful as we are those representatives of the glorious gospel. Verses 7 through 12. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. These verses are probably starting to ring a little bit. That sounds familiar. And the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen upon me. When I wept, I chastened my soul with fasting. That became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit at the gate speak against me. And I am a song of the drunkards. <laughs> you see, David had such a zeal for being in the presence of the Lord. And if he was a teenager in the 1960s, he would have been labeled a Jesus freak a Bible thumper, living on the edge. And today, he wouldn't be labeled any of those. He'd be labeled an extremist. You are an extremist today. But he just loved the Lord. And he wanted to spend time with him. Hopefully that's a reflection of you and me as well. Because people didn't understand that. Even David's own family couldn't comprehend it. And the Lord's disciples didn't understand it until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And to this day, I, I know there's people even in this room right now, to this day, there are unbelievers, as well in some cases believers, who do not understand a person's desire to know our God more and more each and every day. I thought we just went to church on Sunday. I thought that was church was all about, just going once a week and punching the clock. It's a foreign concept to them. It's too radical. It's too religious. And if you talk to them, even maybe someone who's sitting in the sanctuary, you know, you're getting too religious on me here. As they put their hand up, you're getting too religious on me here. Really? Well, if you have a relationship and you're reading the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is trying to move in your life, and a person is lovingly and graciously and mercifully using the Word of God to show you that, and you put your hand up, you're not stiffing the person, you're stiffing God. You're saying, no, I don't want to hear from the Holy Spirit. That's not a good place to be in. And David wasn't in that place. Even though he made horrendous mistakes, he repented. He repented and he got right with God. 
And we see in verse 11 there, he mentions sackcloth. I I also made sackcloth my garment. And for us today, this would be burlap. You know, burlap. Those three-legged races, you know, when you get done with it, if you have shorts on, it's really itchy. And it makes you really uncomfortable. You see, that was the whole point behind sackcloth. It was to remind the person wearing it of their sinful state. And for the world today, if you bring up the word sin, even in many Christian churches nowadays, the word sin is never mentioned. Oh, we don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. No, let's love them to hell. That's a way better idea. Let's just love them to hell. Sin. Who didn't sin this past week? Don't raise your hand because we'll stone you. Who didn't sin? (laughs) Everybody sinned. We all sinned. We need a savior. Even though we're saints, we're trapped in these sinful bodies. Now, hopefully we're sinning less and growing in God so that people can see that we're sinning less so that we have that testimony for them. But we still need God. You see, the whole city of Nineveh, including the king, wore sackcloth. And after just a few days of Jonah's preaching, and I encourage you this week to read the book of Jonah, repented of their sinful state. You know, God saved them because of their repentance. Not because of their political correctness. But because of their repentance. And Jonah wasn't happy about it. But God was ecstatic. The whole city was saved. Verses 13 through 20. But as for me, my prayer is to you. O Lord, in the acceptable time. Notice, okay, they're singing about me in the bars. Oh, poor me, woe is me. No, no, I'm just going to get back to my prayer life. O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire. Let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut its mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. This is David's prayer life. He's praying here. This is prayer life. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. You see, David, going back to his earlier analogy, lifts up his sincere prayer of deliverance, but he couldn't find anyone to come alongside him. And when you read the story of David's deliverance from Absalom, which I would encourage you to do, he had many friends that came to his aid, but at this point he's expressing, this is important, he's expressing how he felt. But he had many, many people that came alongside him. And herein lies a very important principle. The enemy loves to try to get us to think that we're all alone. That nobody understands, that nobody cares, especially as a teenager or someone in their 20s. And especially those in their 70s and 80s 
Those bookend years are very hard years. Nobody understands. Nobody cares. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Let's look at Romans chapter 11. Because the word shows us over and over again that that's not true. But the enemy of our soul will try to deceive us into believing that lie. No matter where you are, and if you're not a teen or in your 70s or 80s, it doesn't matter what age you are, that is one of the enemy's number one tactics. Loneliness. You're all alone. Nobody understands. And oh, by the way, nobody cares. Romans 11.2 God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, speaking specifically of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, now as you go in context and read this, Elijah is running from Jezebel. He runs for miles and miles and miles and miles, days and days and days. And he finally spends time with God. He says, God, I'm all alone. Nobody understands and nobody cares. And there's nobody but me and the whole nation of Israel that loves you. Woe is me. This is Elijah. Very few people think about this story. They think of all the other wonderful things he did. But yet he had such a depression. Nobody's around. Nobody cares. Nobody understands. Lord, they have killed your prophets, tore down your altars, and I alone am left. And Ahab and Jezebel, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I, God speaking to him, I, Elijah, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, or Baal, however you'd like to pronounce it. You'll find the story in 1 Kings 19. So even, even this week, as you f- go through this week, and you might feel like I'm all alone, whatever age you are, you're not. You're not. But the enemy wants to work that into your head, work that into your mind, work that into your soul, so that you'll have a pity party, so that you might even do something that you would never want to do. No, you've got to wake up. You've got to realize, wait, wait, wait. As we look back in Psalm 69, I'm a believer. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. So right there, I'm not alone. I've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. But then I've got hundreds of brothers and sisters in Christ that if I just reach out... Did you guys hear the problem? Because oftentimes people will come into a church and then they'll leave the church and go, boy, that wasn't a very friendly church. Nobody cares. Nobody loved me. Nobody said hello. That's why we take an extended time so that nobody can leave with that stupid excuse. People love you. If you reach out to God, he will reassure you that you're not alone. If you reach out to other people, believers specifically, in a church, you will realize that they will love you and say, you're not alone. Hey, how can I pray for you? Why don't you come to the ladies' Bible study? Well, I don't know anybody. You know me. I'll go with you. I'll meet you at the door. I'll introduce you to the other ladies. Or guys, what about coming out to the guys? Oh, I don't know anybody. You know me. I'll be there. I'll introduce you to some guys. See, that's what we're supposed to be doing, even on a Sunday morning. Helping, reaching out. But again, it does go back to me. If I reach out, then I will realize I'm not alone and that other people do really love me and care for me. Verse 21 
Again, I'm going to go back to 20 because, again, these, these verses might sound familiar in regards to Jesus. It's a messianic psalm because of these verses. Reproach has broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. You see, there were those who came against David and even desired for him to be poisoned, seeing that gall is a poisonous plant. And, oh, you're thirsty? How about a cup of vinegar? Drink this down, David. Chug this. But again, this is also prophetic in nature. And so you you can mull over that this week. Verse 22, let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents. For they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not written with the righteous. Hmm. Pretty straightforward prayer. Don't need much commentary on that. David loves to pray that. Just let him have that. But you know, in verse 28, I find an interesting phrase here, the book of the living. And as you look this up, you're going to find that there's really not, scripturally that we know of, a book of the living. But it does appear that David, as well as Moses, believed that a person's name could be removed from this book, the book of the living. So, whether that book exists, we do not know, but the New Testament does tell us of a book of life, a book of life, and that every believer's name that is written in it will never be removed. And that goes along with the teaching in John, chapter 10. Jesus teaching that no one is able to take a believer out of my father's hand or out of my hand. Ephesians says that the believer is sealed until the day that you die, till the day that God calls you home to heaven. And I thank God for that because I would have lost it within seconds of gaining it. No, it's by grace through faith alone. Verse 29, but I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Here's the turn. Here's the transformation. David is pouring out his heart. For you and me, it's a living example. Pour out your heart. Woe is me. I'm having a bad day. Everybody's against me. Nobody understands. Nobody cares. Good. You got that off your chest. Now go back into reality reality but i am poor and sorrowful let your salvation O god set me up on high i will praise the uh, the name of god with a song and will magnify him i have those three words highlighted i will praise and will magnify him with thanksgiving this also shall please the lord better than an ox or bull. In other words, those physical sacrifices mean nothing if I don't have a heart, a right heart of praise and adoration. Even today, if we give a financial gift, but we're bitter about it, or we think that man's requiring us to give it, which no man in this church is requiring that at all, that's between you and God. But if we allow that to take place, it means nothing. There's, there's no eternal treasure in that. There's no reward. No, we want to make sure that when we give, we give with a proper attitude, a gracious attitude, a loving attitude. The humble shall see and be glad, and you who seek God, your heart shall live. For the Lord hears the poor, 
and does not despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Again, Zion would be another name for Jerusalem. Also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Because of these last verses, David, he breaks into praise. Even though he's expressed despair, as always, he knows the truth, and God will come through like he always has, always will. And I just want to really encourage you. Now, this isn't a pep talk. This isn't about thinking positive thinking. This is a reality. This is reality. Because there's a verse that you all know that says, God works all things together for the good. We know that verse, but when we're going through a hard time, we don't quote that verse. We forget that verse. That verse isn't even in our Bible. How could anything good come out of this? Well, I don't know. But God's word says it. So if God's word says it, I'm going to believe it. And one day maybe I will. Maybe I never will until I get to heaven. That doesn't negate God's faithfulness just because I don't understand or don't believe. God is faithful, guys. God is faithful in all these lives as we look at the Bible. That's what we're to look at. Faithful, 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 faithful. So that when we come to crossroads, roads, we don't go back to the world. But no, we keep moving forward. God, you have a plan. Well, Psalm 70. To the chief musician, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. To bring to remembrance. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who said, Aha! Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord do not delay. Uh, we don't know when this was written. And if you just do a little bit of research, you're going to find out that David uses Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17, that he wrote earlier. He used those exact same verses, not word for word, but basically the exact same concepts as you read it. And you'd say, you might ask yourself, well, why would he do that? Well, let's look at Second Peter chapter 1. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 1. And again, check out the slide. Find your Bible. Use your finger until your battery dies, and then you won't know where it's in your Bible. But feel free to keep using that electronic device. <laughs> Got to put a little dig in there. Just, ah. I love electronics, but guys, paper, paper, paper. Second Peter 1, 12 through 15. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know... And are established in the present truth. What is Peter saying? You know these things. They're, you're established. You're, you're founded. You've got it down. But <laughs> I'm going to remind you, as every rabbi would do. And that's why after you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you're kind of thinking, well, that, doesn't this sound familiar? Yeah, what, what am I going to come up with? Something new every single Sunday? Are you kidding me? No pastor does that. It's the Bible. You just got to keep going back to the Bible. And I have to live it in my life as I have my devotional times. As I read from Genesis to Revelation, year in and year out. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. 
Now, you obviously get the benefits of that. And as you do that, we all get the benefits of that as well. And if we had a whole church that was reading their Bible day in and day out, and hearts being transformed day in and day out, aren't we going to see all see the benefits of that? And I believe that's what's happening here. We are seeing the benefits of that. But it comes down to personal choice again. Will I do that? Will I spend the 15, 20 minutes doing that? Verse 13, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, this body, to stir you up by reminding you. Come on, Peter, you already told us this. Give us something new. Well, the Holy Spirit obviously knew something better than we do. That we need to hear it over and over and over again. Knowing that, shortly I must put off my tent. This body, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. I'm writing it down. He didn't know it was going to become canonized and become part of our Bibles, but he was at least writing it down and sending it to the believers. I don't want you to forget these things. These things are crucial. As David prays, make haste, O God, to deliver me in Psalm 70. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Again, who's he going to? God. This week, as you have sorrow, as you have troubles, express those troubles, express those sorrows. Go to God. Go to God. You have to. I have to. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, who knows? Maybe it's somebody within your own family. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. I told you so. Where's your God now, Christian? Where's your God now? Well, my God happens to be in heaven, sitting on the throne. All things are under control. And I know he's going to work this to the good. They won't understand that, but you just gave a testimony. You see, the word desire here is having pleasure in, pleased with. And and isn't it a shame when a person actually takes pleasure in someone else's problems? Not that we've ever done that. You see, we shouldn't delight in someone else's problems, but pray for them and help them if possible. But at times, in the flesh, it's easy to step back and go, man, you just got what you deserved and I am so glad. I am so glad for you, sucker. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. You see, David prays that God would rescue him from such people. Do it quickly, Lord. And, and how about us? 1 John three seventeen and 18. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. Notice this, his brother. So not just anybody, but a fellow believer and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in that believer? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Notice this, but in deed and in truth. And in truth. So let's not delight in someone else's problems, but rather come alongside them to try to help them, encourage them, if they allow us to. If they allow us to. Verses 4 and 5. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually. Let God be magnified. 
But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. You see, there are those who seek after wealth. There are those who seek after fame. There are those who seek after possessions. There are those who seek after relationships. And the list could go on and on and on. But David makes a point here. If we seek after the Lord, we will find him and there will be great joy. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And if you're new or visiting, you're probably going, why does this guy go through the Bible so much? I'm getting tired of looking down and trying to find these chapters. It's because it's the Bible. That's why we're here. To focus on the Bible. I, I don't have any really great words of wisdom for you. But if we just read the Bible, it jumps out. Acts 17, 26. And he has made one, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Notice that right there. Racism. There's only one race. Call yourself what you want. There's only one race. And even on the world today, there's, there's basically three. You're a Jew that's going to hell because you don't accept God or Jesus as your savior. You're a Gentile who's going to hell because you don't accept God or Jesus as your savior. Or you're a believer because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. There's just three groups of people. And that believer is Jew and Gentile together. That's it. So, so there's not a lot of choices here. So forget what ethnic background you come from. If you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you're going to hell. You need to wake up. Your ethnic group is not going to save you. The Pope's not going to be standing there for you. None of that nonsense. It says, and he has made from one blood every, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. I encourage you to highlight that. It's not in your social security. It's not in your pension. It's not in Wall Street. Those are all nice things to possibly have at the end of the day. But if it all goes away, are you still going to seek after the Lord? Are you still going to seek after God? Are you still going to go, wait a minute, I've got God. I've got salvation at the end of the day. Who also, some of your own prophets have said, we, we, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, Paul goes on to say, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The word men there is mankind. To do what? To repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And we know that man to be Jesus. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That would be Jesus. He's going to rule, he's going to reign, and every single person that has ever lived will stand before Jesus at one point. That can be very uncomfortable if you don't know Jesus. It's exhilarating if you do. Because when you take your last breath on this earth, as a believer, you take your last breath, you're going to take your first breath in heaven. Praise God. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. There's no greater moment in all of this life. No greater moment than to take your last breath on this earth. Because then you are stepping into heaven. 
But again, there's only one blood, guys. As we go out this week and minister to those who are lost and dying, as we go out and feel the woe is me, I'm all alone, I'm all forsaken, nobody understands, nobody cares, let's just get back to the reality, get into your daily reading, your daily devotional, call a brother or sister, come out to a men's Bible study, come out to a Wednesday night midweek study, come into a home group, get involved and stop believing the lies of the enemy. And let the others around you, the unbelievers, see, man, you're an ambassador for Christ. I mean, they're not going to say that because they don't know those words. But they're probably going to say, you know what? Something's different about you. You're a nut. I, I noted when I was at Motorola, people would come up to me because I'd read my Bible at lunchtime because I had four kids. So when I got home, total chaos. So my lunch break was my, my, my devotional time. And every week, every day, rain or shine, every day, I just, I didn't do it for Motorola. I didn't do it to be a show. I just, that was my time. I always would get alone, off into a corner. I wouldn't get in the middle of the cafeteria. Okay, I'm going to read my Bible now. And put my Bible. No, I, was, I was in the corner, outside. I love being outside. And every now and then, somebody would come up to me. They'd go, I see that you're religious. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything, but really. I just, I'd let them finish. I'd go, okay. I, I have a request. I, 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 I need prayer. At Motorola, somebody asking for prayer? Why? Because they thought I was religious. Then it gave me that opportunity once they got that out to say, well, you know what? I'm not religious. I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for your request. So guys, you just never know who's watching. And you never know how long it might take for them to get the guts to come up and approach you because they don't know what you're going to say. But yet there was that moment in time, and it didn't happen often, it happened every now and then, two or three or four times. But when it happened, it was like, God, thank you. It's not me, that's your Holy Spirit. It's, it's that opportunity, guys, that we have. And your coworkers notice, your neighbors notice. They notice when you drive off and when you come back every Sunday morning. And they notice, even though the garage door is closed, that you slam the door and you're yelling, because it's not soundproof. So they're going, wow, they just went to church and listened to that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. <laughs> Lord, help us, Lord. Oh, Lord, help us. Sometimes we don't even get out of the parking lot. So, Lord, just help us to be more like Jesus. We definitely don't need to be more religious. We need to deepen our walk with you. And so, Father, that's our request even right now, as we see that David just pours out his heart and, and what a picture what a word picture he, he just felt like he was drowning that everything was coming in upon him that there was no escape that he didn't have anything firm to stand upon but at the end of the psalm like we see over and over again after expressing himself he went back to the truth I've got a God he's going to meet me He's going to take care of me. I'm going to keep looking to Him. Father, may we develop that same mentality. Just expressing what we need to express, but then getting back to reality. You are God. You have things under control. You're going to work it for the good. Help us to trust in Your Word and not to trust in our feelings. Lord, I thank You for these 15 years, Lord, we, we've just been so blessed. And I, again, I just thank you for my wife and all the volunteers who have made so many things happen all of these years and are continuing to. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for that. 
And Lord, we don't want to sit around and fossilize. We want to get the gospel out. So bless even the the Spanish ministry today at 2 o'clock, Lord. Bring people out to get saved as that new ministry is starting, Lord. And, And Father, for the next 15 years, if you so tarry, Give us new new sight, new insights. Your word's not going to change, but help us to reach our community maybe in new ways. Through the same gospel. Repent. You're a sinner. You need a savior. Lord, use us for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we all stand, guys. God bless you guys. Again, please come back. We've got burgers, hamburgers. We've got hamburgers. We've got hot dogs. Um, we got drinks, paper products. Just bring something to share with everybody a bag of chips or a homemade item. There's always plenty of food. If you go, ah, I don't want to make anything, come back anyways. There's always plenty of food. That's why it's called Calorie Chapel. We believe in food. Come on back, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. When we see you, we find strength to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away when we see you cause when we see you we find strength to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away Wash away